1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 to 34 The Resurrection of the Dead But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominions, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Well, do keep your Bibles open. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this evening we're looking at those verses from verse 12 to verse 34. And let's pray together now. Father, thank you so much for the assurance we have in the resurrection of Jesus. And we pray as we study these words of yours now 
that you would build our confidence in this wonderful truth for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, on the 14th of August 2018, at 11.36, just before lunchtime, uh, there was a torrential downpour, and the Ponte Morandi in Genoa suddenly collapsed. There was a section 210 metres long. It just fell apart. It disintegrated and plummeted down to the valley floor, taking it with it between 30 and 35 cars and four trucks and in the process killing 43 people. It was a fairly old concrete bridge, 51 years old. The concrete was getting a bit old, the steel reinforcements was getting rusty, and then in that torrential storm it just failed, and that long, long section just disintegrated and with tragic results. Uh, And the fundamental building material for Christianity, the foundation block for Christianity, is, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You remove that, as happened in Genoa when you removed the the fundamentally central part of the the concrete and the steel, and and the thing collapsed. And with Christianity, you remove the resurrection, uh, and the whole thing will likewise collapse. You could liken Christianity to a balloon, and here we are that have a standard birthday balloon, and then if you take this and then you do that to it, what happens is Christianity will just simply collapse. It's like a capstone, an arch. Take out the the top part, the capstone, and the whole thing collapses. In fact, it is true to say that everything Everything stands or falls on the resurrection. When it comes to Christianity, everything stands or falls on the resurrection. As John Stott once wrote, Christianity is in very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. And as the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, some of the um, the Corinthian Christians seem to be taken up with thinking um, that everything is all about the here and now. It's about experiencing God now. It's about the healings and the miracles and the wonders now. It's about the gifts that people have now. And in fact, they then went on beyond that to be saying, well, actually, there is no resurrection of the dead, as in there's no life after death. And Paul is saying to them, well, how come you can believe, and some of you are teaching, that there is no resurrection of the dead, but you also believe that Jesus came back from the dead? Because you can't have both of them. You can't say that Jesus came back from the dead, but the dead aren't raised. They they kind of contradicts each other, doesn't it? And uh, and he's taking a large part of the passage here at the beginning of it uh, to say, actually, you've got a big contradiction there. It just doesn't, doesn't add up. Uh, And as he does so, he says at the beginning, look, if there is no resurrection, then there are big consequences. And we're going to look at those now. So uh, the first thing, we're going to gallop through this quite quickly. Um, It may well be worthwhile looking at it later on in a rather slower manner and thinking this through. But if there's no resurrection, first thing Paul wants to say, first thing I want to say is switch off now. Now, turn this off. 
and go and do something more useful with this evening. Switch off now. It's all entirely futile. So verses 14 to, to the beginning of verse 17 in our, in our passage here. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, all this Christianity stuff is utterly, utterly futile. It's a waste of time. Um, switch off, log off, don't bother with this, don't come back next week, don't come to church when we can meet again in the church building, just don't. If Christ is not back from the dead, our preaching is useless. In fact, he puts at the beginning, he says useless, underlined a couple of times in bold and so on, uh, useless. What we've been saying, our preaching, our message is just, it's useless, it's futile, it's empty, it's void. And so is your faith. Don't believe what we're saying. Our preaching and your faith, he's saying, is just literally and simply empty. There's nothing there. There's nothing to believe in if Jesus is not back from the dead. And then in verse 15, he says, more than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Um, and so he's saying here, look, if anyone uh, tells you about the resurrection of Jesus didn't come back from the dead, they're lying. It means that I will be lying to you this evening. And anyone who said to you that Jesus is back from the dead will be lying to you and lying about God. And then he says in verse 17, your faith is futile. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. A waste of time. Switch off now. That's what he's saying. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, just go and do something useful with your Sunday evening. Because this certainly is not useful. This is just utterly futile. A waste of time. If Jesus is not back from the dead. And if Jesus is not back from the dead, I'm wasting my entire life. And so are yours. And uh, I'm nearer the back end of my life than the front end of my life. So I've been wasting uh, my entire life since I was uh, 18 when I became a Christian. All of it. Gone. Wasted. Trash. Take it to the tip. So this is serious stuff that we're thinking about now. And Christianity, uh, switch off now if there's no resurrection. Second thing to say is if there's no resurrection, there's no hope. And death reigns. And that's looking at verses, the end of verse 17 through to 19. So the end of verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And then he says, and you're still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ are lost. So you say, if there's no resurrection, the cross wasn't a success. It means that Jesus hasn't successfully died for our sins. It means he has not paid the price successfully for our sins. It means we're heading for a lost eternity. It means there's no hope. There's no future. There's no solution. And he says in verse 18 that those who have died, those who have fallen asleep as Christian believers, they haven't gone to heaven. He's saying they're lost. He's saying that they've perished, they've gone forever. And that will include people we know. So these are tragic, tragic results if there is no resurrection from the dead. Um, uh, if there's no resurrection, then Christian people who believe that death is the start of everything join the band of pagans who believe that death is the end of everything. We're no better off than those who have no belief whatsoever. 
If there is no resurrection, there is no hope, there is no future. And then in verse 19 he says this, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if there's no resurrection, then Christians are fools. We've given our lives to something which is a delusion or a, a lie. We're poor, deluded fools. If there's no resurrection of the dead. So everything stands or falls on the resurrection. It is absolutely fundamental for Christianity. Look at the first word, though, of verse 20. But. Now, that is a massive change. There is a massive word here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It is hugely significant. He's saying, but actually Jesus is back from the dead. He's back. And it's a bit like the first um, of the harvest you get in. There's, you get the first of the harvest and there's promise there of more to come. And that's what he's saying here. Jesus is the first back from the dead, the first of everyone. Because if Jesus is back from the dead, then there is a future beyond the grave for each one of us. Now, before we go any further, let's just linger on that first bit of verse 20 there. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That is certainty. That is confidence. That is being sure. That is a cast iron, I know. That is, I would stake my life on this. And the Christian faith is not uh, fragile like a balloon. It's not take it or leave it. The Christian faith is based on robust evidence, on clear explanation, on repeated experiences of Christian people down the centuries claiming to have met Jesus and claiming that he has transformed their lives. You're not able to puncture this. The evidence is incontrovertible. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now, many of you know, I uh, try to get out on my bike up on the downs uh, several times each week. And uh, in the past years, I've, I've had a lot of punctures. There are, there are a lot of thorns and so on up on the downs on the bridleway. So I've had a lot of punctures, but not recently, not for really quite a long time now. And that's because I, I bought some puncture resistant tyres. But then also I got some of this stuff, which is a felt tape that you put inside the tyres. Uh, and I also bought myself a decent pump so I can pump up the tyres really hard uh, and put this stuff inside. And I haven't had a puncture for uh, a very long time now. Having said that, I'll probably have one in the morning. Um, but, uh, but the idea here is that Christianity is like my, uh, you know, it is not, you cannot puncture it. It is absolutely there. It's absolutely true. Uh, it is robust. It is reinforced. We can be clear and we can know in our own hearts and minds that Jesus is back from the dead. And people may try and puncture, uh, puncture our faith, but actually you can't. You really can't, because this is based on extraordinary levels of evidence which we have in the pages of the Bible, and from outside the Bible as well. If you want to know more, there are resources and books available. Do get in touch with the church office. We'd love to uh, bring some round and perhaps leave it on your doorstep uh, to, uh, to have, a, have a read through. Christ has been raised. 
And so therefore, first thing to see here is there is hope. Look at verses 20 to 23 here. There's so much we could explain here. Christ has been raised in, in the original. It's talking about the fact that here's something that happens in the past, and it's going on to the future. It's something in the past that affects the future. And so C.S. Lewis could write in his book, Miracles, he, that's Christ, has forced open a door that had been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. And here, the Apostle Paul talks about Adam and Jesus as two heads of the human race. He talks about uh, Adam as the head. And, those, uh, and so we are born in Adam. In other words, that we're born like Adam and we follow his characteristics of having hearts rebellious against God. But for those who are in Christ, who have been born now following Jesus, we have a different life, a different trajectory and a different destination. So we see in verse 22, as in Adam all die, so in Christ, for those who are in Christ, all those will be made alive. And it's talking about the end of life. As in Adam, all die. You stay in Adam, you stay an unbeliever, you will die and that will be it. But in Christ, in Christ, there is a new life beyond the grave, a life with God rather than a life without God after the grave. In Adam or in Christ, that everyone is either one or the other, either one or the other. In Adam, living our old life and actually facing a future separated from God for all eternity. Or in Christ living with Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, and facing a wonderful future. There is hope. There is hope. And uh, for those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord. And uh, Christ comes, and uh, uh, people will be raised from the dead. Jesus is the first, the first fruits of the harvest. And then one day he will return. And when he comes... Verse 23, Christ the firstfruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. In other words, Christian people, where those who belong to him will be raised. Christ, then us. There's an order to this. He talks about in turn here in verse 23. It's a military term. And it's saying, first Jesus, and then those who belong to him, then Christian people. And then the end will come, as he says at the beginning of verse 24 beginning of verse 24 then the end will come and that goes on to this next part so there is hope second thing about the resurrection is our god reigns our god reigns and that's really in verses 24 to 28 now in these times of covid19 isn't it a reassurance to know that our god reigns the resurrection tells us our God reigns. And when Jesus returns, all opposition to him will be destroyed. You see that at the end of verse 24 and then in verse 25. Look at verse 25 here. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. As you read through these verses, 24 to 28, there's a lot of putting or putting under uh, and it's an expression of God's authority, God the Father's ultimate authority over all things. And there are enemies. Death is an enemy. I mean, if death weren't an enemy, for instance, we wouldn't be so bothered about COVID-19, would we? But death is 
the final enemy of the human race. And people are fearful because death is our enemy. And uh, people grieve for their relatives who have died because death is our enemy. And one day Jesus will return and it will be destroyed. But in the meantime... And as we're going to see next week, just glance over to verse 55 there. Death has lost its sting. As for Christian people, yes, we still die. And some of us may die with this COVID-19 business. Some of us may die because of that. But for us, it's different because death has lost its sting. As we know that one, the one who will return one day, has defeated death and will destroy death utterly, completely. And there will be a new new heaven and a new earth where there will be no death. Because it's not only been defeated at the cross, but destroyed when Jesus returns. And when he returns, he will do that and then he will hand the kingdom over to his heavenly father. So that our heavenly father, God the father, may be all in all or everything to everyone. Now, uh, um, you can see here how this resurrection has sparked this inevitable chain of events. An inevitable and unstoppable chain of events. Uh, and it results in, in the end in everything but being put under God the Father's command. On the 6th of August 1945, Major Thomas Ferraby pulled the bomb release trigger. And the bomb took 44 seconds to fall before it detonated 1900 feet above Hiroshima. And after the bomb was released... There was nothing they could do during that 44 seconds to stop it. Now, we may have big questions about the, uh, the morals of nuclear weapons. Uh, I'm just making the point about the unstoppability of it once they had pulled that trigger. And the resurrection has unleashed an unstoppable and good chain of events, an unstoppably good chain of events, a profoundly good chain of events in the best way which will end with the destruction of death and with the reign of God the Father over all things, over the entire universe, for everyone for everything and forever and that is wonderfully and amazingly good there is hope Our God reigns. Death is defeated. Just to underline this, that death is defeated. It is uh, an ongoing reality. Death is an ongoing enemy. It is an ongoing object of fear, but not for Christians. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was led out to be executed by the Nazis in the Second World War. And as he went, this is what he said, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. Isn't that wonderful? And that's, that's what Christians will say. That's what we do say. We have no need to fear death as Christians because we know that on the other side there is a glorious eternity because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Death is defeated. So Christ has been raised, so there is hope. Our God reigns. Death is defeated. So we want to live this out. And this is our final point. So live this out. Verses 29 to 34. We want to live it out in various ways. For instance, in verse 29, in our religion, 
Verse 29, um, uh, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for dead? It seems in some strange way that some people in Corinth had lost Christian friends who hadn't been baptised and they were being baptised for them which sounds a little bit like our Roman Catholic friends having a requiem mass in some way, doesn't it? It's not just exactly the same. But the thing is here that Paul disapproved of what the people in Corinth were doing. And it's all part of his argument. He's saying, if, death, if, if the dead are not raised, people in Corinth, why are you bothering? What's the point? And you can see the strength of his argument, can't you? And our religion, our religious practices should tie in with, they should reflect our beliefs that Jesus is back from the dead. Christian people will be raised. Job is done. There's nothing you can add to it. So don't think for one moment that you can uh, be baptised for someone who's died or any similar religious practice is going to help. Instead, we, we rejoice, we praise, we celebrate that everything is done. There is nothing further to be done. And then we remember and we worship our God. And we want to learn more about him. That that's, forms the elements of the main, uh, main parts of the services that we have, doesn't it? That's what we're trying to do. We want to praise and worship and celebrate and enjoy and thank God. And bring the needs of the world to our, over one, uh, our, our extraordinarily, wonderfully caring and compassionate eternal God. So we live this out in our religion. We live it out with courage, verses 30 to 32. It talks there about wild animals. Christians were fed to wild animals, you know, sent to the lions in the early days. And uh, we know that. And we know they died. So it's probably, as Paul is talking here, uh, this is obviously after it happened. So it's probably metaphorical rather than real, because Christians didn't survive to write letters after they'd been fed to the wild animals. It's probably metaphorical. But, uh, uh, but it means that Christians will have huge courage. And Christians so often do have huge courage. Take James Hannington, for instance. He went to uh, Africa to work out a way of getting from the coast up to Uganda. He went first, uh, and he, he took a, a southern route, and he almost died of disease. He, he thought he was going to die. He arranged his funeral, but he managed to get home. He returned three years later, and then took a more northerly route from the coast up to Uganda, in the hope of being able to, to w- uh, open up a route for the gospel. But it was dangerous. It was really dangerous. And he got found by a bunch of Maasai people, and, uh, and, and the people then from, uh, from, uh, from the king of Uganda thought that he was coming to take their country. He wasn't at all, but they imprisoned him, uh, and uh, 40 or 50 of his, uh, uh, of his team who were with him. And then uh, on the 29th of October, 1885, he and they were speared to death. Three or four escaped, but the majority of them were speared to death, and uh, they gave their lives for the gospel. Now, uh, you can live your life with courage if you believe in the resurrection of the dead. You can live your life very dangerously if you believe in the resurrection of the dead because you know actually this gospel is more important than anything and you would be willing to give your life for that. So we live our lives with courage and we live this out in our religion with courage. And then third... In our moral lives, and that's verses, the end of verse 32 through to verse 34.
The resurrection means this is a moral universe. It means it matters how we live our lives because there is a day when Jesus will return. How you live your life actually matters. I mean, if the dead are not raised, live how you like. I mean, if if death is the end of everything, then, well, as he says in verse 32, uh, quoting a a, a poet there, one of their own poets, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, live how you like. Who cares? But actually, we do care because Jesus came back from the dead. Of course we care. And we want to please him because he's alive now and he's going to come back and it really does matter how we live our lives. And so it does mean that for some of us, the beginning of verse 34 is absolutely rightly true for us, where the Apostle Paul says, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. So for us, maybe for you, maybe this evening, that is something that you really need to do. You need to come back to your senses and whatever it is you're up to, you need to stop it. For Jesus' sake. Because he came back from the dead and he's alive. And one day he's coming back for all Christian people to take us home. So the resurrection, it is fundamentally important. Everything stands or falls on the resurrection. And Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And so therefore there is hope. Therefore, our God reigns. Therefore, death is defeated. And therefore, we're going to live this out in our religion and the way we do church, for instance. We're going to live it out with courage. We're going to live it out in our moral lives because we love Jesus and we want to walk with him because he's alive today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are back from the dead. You're the living Lord Jesus, and one day you will return. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to believe this more and more, to live it out with courage, to tell other people this wonderful good news. And we pray, Lord, this might have the impact you want it to on our moral lives. We pray for Jesus' sake, our risen Lord and Saviour. Amen.